Hello and welcome to an emotional final edition of the We Could Be Euros podcast. I'm your host, James Copley of the Sunderland Echo, and I'm joined by the Yorkshire Post's uh, Stuart Rayner and the Sheffield Stars' Joe Cran. Uh, gentlemen, we'll start briefly with the football because this is a football podcast, but then we'll probably have to, to move on to other issues, unfortunately, um, such as life. But yeah, England lost on penalties in the final of Euro 2020 to Italy. Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford and Saka missing the all-important penalties. We'll start with you, Stu. What did you make of the game as a whole? And I guess Southgate's tactics in the game, they have come in for criticism after the match, which surprised me, to be honest, given that England were a couple of kicks away. But what have you thought of that game overall? Well, I think um, it's a funny one with Southgate because obviously he's got this he's got this reputation as being ultra-conservative and, and, and boring in his approach. And, you know, in some respects he is, but in others he's very... He's very He's a big risk taker, you know. I mean, I think it was after the Germany game, wasn't it, where he said, uh, if I played that formation and we'd lost, I'm a dead man, you know. And and he played the same formation again in the final. He was he was brave in doing a not so brave thing, if you understand what 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 I mean by that. And and when you, I think when you play that way, you've got to get results. But you know, let's be fair. In six out of seven matches, well, he got he got five wins and two draws. And lost and lost the penalty shootout. He didn't. He didn't lose a football match in the tournament. He just lost the shootout. So I don't. I don't think he can be critical at all of the way he did it. You know, I'd. I'd love for them for them to have played a bit more flowing football. I'd love for that to be sort of how this team develops. Um, but he he went about it the, the way that brought England success so far. And you, you couldn't you couldn't just change tack for the final. I think I think he you know I think he did the right thing. Um, he said. Um, he said in the press conference before the final, somebody asked him about England raising their game for the final. And he basically said, no, no. He said, finals aren't about raising your game. Finals are about maintaining the level that you've shown getting to the final. And I, I, I don't think England were able to do that in the end. I think the first half, they were very good. Um, or certainly the first 20 minutes. I mean, it's been a feature of these games that they've always started really well. Obviously scored straight away. Um, and they were they were looking really good. Kieran Trippier in particular was getting lots of the ball and doing well with it. He obviously created the goal. Um, and then Italy started started to take control, and England had to change that formation. But they did change that formation. Southgate recognised that and, and and went to four two three one. And uh, they they just couldn't they just couldn't get that initiative back. But you know I wouldn't be too critical because. You know, all tournament long, we're all England, 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 and we're looking at what a great team England are and, and how well they're doing and how well individual players are doing. But you've got to remember, there was a bloody good team playing against them, you know, and, and we've got to give a lot of credit to, to Italy as well for the way they performed. Not just a really talented football team, as they showed in the groups, but a really gutsy one as well. Um, and I think, I think they were worthy winners, but I think England could be very proud of, uh, of being worthy runners-up, frankly. And Joe, uh, Stu mentioned it there, but this Italian team, experienced, streetwise, talented, good management. You know, it's unfortunate that England came out second best, but, you know, a couple of kicks away, taking the lead, it was all so close to being there for England. Do you find this this reaction from some some England fans over Southgate a little bit melodramatic? I think so, but I mean, we've, we've come to expect that way. It's, it's, it's a game of extremes and you see it at club level, you see it at international level, a few good results and give him a knighthood and you know give him a, give him a key to 
to the country and a defeat and he's useless, get him out and all the players are enough as well. And it's just the way a lot of football fans are. Um, I, for me, I do think that in the second half, particularly, I think, and again, it's my opinion, I'm not a football manager, you know, I don't get paid to do this job, but it did feel a little bit like um, Mancini threw everything at it and made a lot of changes and recognised when his team were really up against it and made changes that directly affected that. And I don't think England did the same thing. I don't think Southgate um, was able to uh, sort of see those. Well, maybe not see them, but affect it as much as what Mancini did. All of his subs made a massive difference. Um, But like Stu said, England didn't lose. And it's it's really sad, and I was gutted afterwards. Um, but and I'm sure we'll touch on it later. The stuff off the field made me a lot sadder than the stuff on the field. Um, from an Italy perspective, I think they were worthy winners. Uh, they were great all tournament, and you know, Stu mentioned it there. We do get this sort of tunnel vision on on England, and you know, it's it's all focused on them. But Italy've been great, like all the way through this tournament, they've been great. And I mean, those two. I read a stat that Chiellini and Benucci haven't lost a game for Italy when they played together since 2015, which is absolutely mad. But, but to be fair, Joe, that means they they lost them in the previous 30 years they were playing together. A lovely, um, a lovely foul from um, Chiellini on Saka in the second half of extra time. That that is one of the most iconic things I've probably ever seen. I mean, it should be condemned, really. Yeah, I mean, it's cheating, isn't it? It's cheating, like you know, it, it, that people people hammer Raheem Sterling for taking a touch and going down, and then Lord that, and it's I mean that seems a little bit hypocritical, <laughs> but. He took one for the team. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to get a. He was going to give a foul away. He knew he was going to get a yellow card. But he'd look. I would imagine he's been in the game a long time. I imagine he looked either side and mean went by ragging back here. There's someone there, so I'm not getting a red. And he took it. And you know, England could well have scored from that that break. It, it was it was very stereotypical Italian football. But the good thing yeah, about this yeah. Italian team is they have had that side. But then they've had the very un-Italian side. Of, of of the attacking football at, at the, the other end as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, to to score, there was the stat, wasn't there, about them not having scored more than twice in a European Championship game, and then they scored three in the first two games. Mancini got a really good blend of the, of the different styles, and and as I say, I think that's I think that's what England have got to got to move a little bit more towards. Keep the 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 brilliant defensive side they've got, and just add a bit more of that attacking flair, but. You know, I believe that Southgate can do that. I think if you look at the graph of England's progress, I think it's heading in the right direction. I mean, it's, it's tough to argue amazing. against that, isn't it, Stu? You know, based on the past, yeah. you, you, you know, when, when you look at England's history, um, people do have this idea that they deserve to be in more finals, deserve to be in more yeah. semi-finals, but ultimately haven't been there. You know, Gareth Southgate, in his, in his time with England, he has been... But he's, 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 he's been, been fourth, third, and second. Yeah, exactly. So they're on, they're on the right trajectory. And, and he's also, in that period, he's also overseen the development of one of the most lovely football teams I have ever seen. Um, and, and that, you know, obviously it's not a it's not it's not a sort of a popularity contest in that sense, but it does make a difference, you know. What what he has done, regardless of what we've seen in the aftermath. He is, he is United a nation behind this team. And this group of players are, they're, they're honestly, they're wonderful. Like, they, as a, as a, take the journalistic side away from it. And these are generally one of the most likable football teams I've ever seen. I want every single one of them to do well. And for me, 
the, the criticism of Southgate should be that. It should be criticisms and people should be critical. We, everyone should be critical of anything, but it's got to be fair. And there's no yeah. point in being critical if you have no alternatives and if you have, uh, and if your entire argument is based on an extremism that is simply just not helping anybody. It needs to be balanced, doesn't it? I mean, you, you could argue that Southgate made, you know, three wrong decisions in the whole tournament and that came in the penalty shootout. But one uh, player that I wanted to, to talk about quickly, because I think he's been sort of unfairly overlooked, really, possibly in the media, is Jordan Pickford. I mean, if ever would ever there was a player that didn't deserve to be on the losing side it was Jordan Pickford the save for the Italian goal was superb he just got unlucky in a sense that it dropped straight to Benucci who put it in the back of the net uh, the two penalty saves were stood and that penalty save against Jorginho who doesn't tend to miss penalties I think he's missed one against Allison or had it saved or whatever was absolutely stunning I mean Stuart a, a word for Jordan Pickford uh, telling himself no problem before before the penalty against Jorginho is uh, some character about the boy yeah, I mean, I think I think it's been a, a sort of an interesting season with, or yeah, season with Pickford because I think he gave us a bit of us a few nerves over the course of the club season with his with his form with Everton, um, and it you know it got to the point of the March internationals I think where you were starting to think Pick, Pickford missed them through injury, is this going to be Nick Pope taking his chance? And 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 to be fair, Pope didn't really take his chance in that game, but. As soon as Pickford came back from that injury, he's been outstanding. And, and I think I think the biggest thing with Pickford, you know, like you, James, I saw I've seen Pickford develop from, from quite a young age. And as I sort of mentioned when David Priest was on when we were talking to him, I used to see him very much as a as a high-risk, high-reward goalkeeper. You know, if you compare him to Pope, who obviously wasn't at the tournament through injury, Pope doesn't do anything flash. But you, but you, but you can just rely on him. Pickford makes saves that other goalkeepers can't make, and the flip side has always been, but there'd be the odd Pickford moment. You know that that was just how it was. But in this tournament, there's been very few Pickford moments in that in that respect. He's really matured in that sense. He, Ironed he, out the he's a psychologist, sense. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that that was clearly important. I mean, there, there were there were a couple of hairy moments, weren't there? Either side of the Denmark free kick. And there were, there were there were a couple of couple of rushes of, of blood when we were four 0 up against Ukraine. But if ever I'm happy with my goalkeeper having a rush of blood, it's a four 0 I think that's important, isn't it, Stu? You know, yeah. the, I think the the Denmark game and what happened. And I said in the podcast uh, a while ago, like I'd never seen him have a bad game for England. And then the Denmark game happened, and that was the shakiest I've seen him look for England. But for him to play like that against Denmark, and you could see he adapted his game because he was trying to, he was trying to do his thing with picking passes and all that kind of stuff. And after that little bit of a slip in the Denmark game, after that, in that Denmark game, he was just like, right, I'm getting rid of this and just started lumping it. Um, but for them, for him to then come past that and then in a World Cup final to play, sorry, in a Euros final to play the way that he did, having had those shaky moments against Denmark, I think says a lot about him. It says a lot about the work that he's been doing with the psychologist because that takes a lot of mental strength. That's the thing. I think that's a pleasing thing with Pickford as Stu mentions, and as you've mentioned there with, with the psychology and the psychologist, there's always been a sort of question mark about how he uses his energy. I'm thinking of when Everton played Newcastle at St. James's Park. I think he saved a penalty. Um, you know, he gave the Gallagher and the rest of the stadium some stick. Obviously, there's the Sunderland-Newcastle connection there. And then he completely lost his head, really, um, made a couple of mistakes, and, and Newcastle ended up winning the game. That was a, an example of how his, his energy didn't go so well. It seems to me... That he's learned how to to channel that energy into good performances now, and that and that and that passion, that passion and personality that he has, 
he's managed to challenge, uh, channel it into, into something good now. I think it's just more maturity. I was I was actually at that game, James, and and, mm-hmm. and I remember that. And, and he was he was just immature that day. But you know, he was he was a young lad. Young lads are allowed to be immature. He's he's grown out of it. I mean, a, another one, sort of less extreme, and that's kind of the point. If you think back two years ago, I mean, John Stones basically got binned by England because because of a few too many rash moments, you know, particularly in the Nations League semi-final. Now, I, I don't know about other people, but I think John Stones had quite a quiet tournament. And to me, that is a massive compliment. If you're a centre-back with a reputation for making mistakes, and we can say at the end of it, you had quite a quiet tournament. I mean, he was outstanding against Scotland, but the rest of the time, he was just consistently very good. Not not flash, just did his job well. And, and that was kind of the maturity about this England team. Yeah, we, you know, we've got players who can do this and do that, but actually... We're going to be sensible about it. We're going to we're going to play within our limitations, and we're going to get the best out of ourselves. And that's what Southgate's done, you know. And as I say, when it falls a bit short, it'll get criticised because people say, "Well, you know, you, you could have taken more risks. You could have done this. You could have done that." But actually, you know, against a better team, that that might not have been the case anyway. As it was, you know, Joe was mentioning the context before. I mean, and I mentioned that Italy stat. The most amazing stat for the tournament for me is that England had only got through one knockout tie in their entire European Championship history. And to be consistent with what I said about the final, they didn't win it, they drew it, and they beat Spain on penalties. They never actually won a knockout tie. This is not the world's greatest football nation. Regardless of what some people seem to think. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's the point, Joe. You, you make a very good point, sort of hammering that home. This is a, this is a team that has used what it's got as, at its disposal really well. And I say part of that, is, is just recognising, whoa, I need to just rein this in a bit. Like you said with Pickford, I just need to get the ball out for a few minutes and settle things down. And the Denmark game was the big test, going behind, had they, had they got it within them mentally? And they had. They were a really mentally strong group who had a load of, as, as Joe said, not, not so much history as fiction on their shoulders, um, that just brushed it off and, and dealt with it really well. And I think on, on, on that, Stu, as well, you know, with this England side, it's it's now about taking that to the next level. And, you know, I, I thought it was really good from Southgate. In his in his post-match interview, he said that he didn't want to overstay his welcome. He wanted to do the, the 22 World Cup in Qatar, but he doesn't want to overstay his welcome. And I think that he's a smart man, and he, you know, he, he will know when he has taken this team as far as he can take them. And that might be after, after 2022. It might not be. We don't know yet where that is. But, you know, this team has... We, we talk about it being the beginning of something. And it really does feel like the beginning of something, given the ages of this group of players. But you also don't want to be in a, in a situation again where we have this so-called gen- golden generation that every, every, not every team, but a lot of teams seem to have. I mean, you look at Belgium and where they're at now, uh, their golden generation's coming to an end. England had their golden generation sort of mid-2000s that did absolutely nothing. Um, and and this group of players now has to, to sort of carry that mantle and take to the next step. And, you know, Lessons have got to be learned. It's going to be, what, 18 months later when we play in Qatar. So all these players are going to have 18 months more maturity, 18 months more experience. Um, and I think with, with that, I think Gareth Southgate has to be a little bit more, um, a bit more expansive with it because the players will be able to be trusted more with certain responsibilities. And I think that is the way forward because if, if this is just... A, a Euros final that England got to and nothing else comes of it, then it's been pointless. You know, it's not not to say that it's not sort of played, done a lot of good, but 
in terms of from a football perspective, the, the aim is to win tournaments and that's where you want to be. So they have to take that next step now. And it's got the, the next step has to be winning something. Like you said, they've done fourth, they've done third, they've done second. There's only one way up from second place. And, you know, at, at some point in the next few tournaments with this group of players who do have a few tournaments left in them, there's got to be at least a, a win in there for us to see that sort of progress continue. It would be uh, lovely to, to continue chatting football and, and to re review the Euros, England's performance, uh, Southgate and Jack Grealish and all of the lads who played the part, Jordan Pickford and whatnot. But unfortunately, um, we have to talk about the behaviour of um, a minority of England fans, it must be said, both before the game, uh, during the game and after, and the unfortunate and disgusting, despicable, whichever way you want to label it, racist abuse that the three black players who missed the penalties for England have received. Um, and it's it's such a shame because this England team, as we've mentioned on this podcast, are, are so likeable. There's been a culture change. Um, you look at sort of Calvin Phillips and, and the relationship he had with, with Granny Val, who's sadly not with us anymore. He was very much doing it for him. You know, Ian Wright saying that Saka was burdened by glorious purpose, the, the work that Marcus Rashford has, has done for communities and helping feed poor children when the government didn't necessarily want to during a pandemic um, and, and to see these players take racial racist abuse on on Twitter is is really despicable I mean Stu in in what should have been a in what should have been a celebration at Wembley for England even if the result didn't go their way coming out of a pandemic um, it turned into something quite different didn't it yeah I mean you know I've got to say I was I was very very, very lucky to cover eight games at Wembley and I enjoyed seven of them. And unfortunately, much as it was an honour to cover the final, I didn't enjoy it and I, I already wasn't enjoying it by the time I got into the grounds because, you know, you say it's a minority and it was a minority, but it was a, it was a worryingly big minority of just absolute morons. I mean, you know, there were, there were tens of thousands of people sharing, you know, literally hundreds of brain cells between them just... You could you could feel the desperation. I got I got into London at one o'clock, and you could feel like a, a desperation in the air. And it was you know obviously everyone wanted to wanted to see England win, and 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 they wanted to put an end to the fifty five years. But it felt like there was almost just a desperation of you know I haven't had a I haven't had a, a proper night out for fifteen months. I'm going to have fifteen months worth of nights out this afternoon, sort of thing. And you know it would. I, I I didn't see much after after the game. You know, you're in, you're in the press conferences, and by the time I got out, it was a bit it was a bit calmer. I'm, you know, not saying that's how it was at, at full time because I've seen bit, bits and bobs. But but before the match, hours and hours and hours before the match, it was just pandemonium. You know, on the on the tubes. I did, I, I stayed away from Leicester Square, but you know, I'm sure, lot, lots of people have seen the videos on there, and it was just it was just depressing, really. You know, to think. To think that people could just lose their minds like that, and quite worrying because you know you're 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 sort of squeezing your way down Wembley Way, looking at these young kids, you know, probably a lot of them who were at the first football match, and the choice was either walk along the carpet of broken glass, or a lot of them were put on their parents' shoulders. But if they're put on the parents' shoulders, they've got beer cans flying either side, you know. And, and another thing that struck me, which is which is a, you know a bit a, a minor point, but but one I think is worth making. There's kind of this culture now. It seems to it seems to be sort of a a post Russia culture that 
when we celebrate, we, we chuck beer in the air. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, but it makes you think there's enough reasons for Muslims not to support this team as it is. I didn't enjoy getting soaked in beer as I was walking to Wembley. If it's actually against your religion to come into contact with it. You know, it, it strikes me as a bit jarring that, you know, even Southgate seems to humour that behaviour. It's not on. Should, people shouldn't be doing it. It's, it's, it's low down the list of crimes. Like, you know, I'd rather we, they were doing that than rushing stadiums and kung fu kicking kids and policemen. But just, you know, it just it just made you despair, to be honest. It, it made, after a, after a tournament, when, you know, those, those 26 lads and that manager made you so proud, made you ashamed to be English made me ashamed to be English anyway. Uh, Joe, really unfortunate that this happened. Obviously, Stu was at the game. Um, we were following uh, the events unfold on, on Twitter, which, and, and you know, they looked pretty pretty bad, pretty damning, really, didn't they? How did you feel at the time? Just really sad. Like, genuinely, like, it's not, it's, it's... With the, with the way that this England team has been set up, in terms of the way that they have been very very vocal about so many different aspects of society that are so important for them to sort of be tarnished by everything that's going on like i say it just makes me really sad and i think the other thing that, that makes me sad about it is that you know I'm, we're, we're football fans first and foremost yes we're journalists now but we're fans and we've been there you know we've been in these these sort of crowds before and you know the th i think the thing that gets me the most is is how quick people are to defend it and you know it's just like, oh it's just a, it's just lads having a laugh it's just and i'm like having a sing song and you know being a little bit um there's a there's a line isn't there because as as you said, we're all football fans i've been i've been to to wembley once as a fan twice as a journalist the first time capital one cup um final against manchester city and i think sunderland fans sort of took over leicester square and were were berated by a Tory MP uh, the morning after because um, there was a bit too much rubbish. And it's sort of like, you know, fair play, but Sunderland fans never crossed that line. They were jovial. There was never any violence. There was never any damage to public property. Yes, there was a little bit of mess. Understandable that that might annoy some people, some locals. Um, but, you know, you get that with a concert and, and stuff like that in different events in Leicester Square. The, the difference with the England fans on on um, uh, after the final and before the final, it was a, there was a specific line crossed, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, and it, it just felt to me like um, it, it felt like there was, it was like all this pent up 18 months had just made it worse. I mean, England fans don't have the best reputation anyway. You know, I've seen them in action many times over the years, and they, yeah, they can be very rowdy and they can be a, a, they can be a problem. And it is, I think it is important to point out that it's a minority, but the thing is, it's a minority that, like Stu said, is it's a worryingly big minority. I mean, 49% of 100 is a minority. Um, it, it is still a minority. And I think that with, with, with England fans, it, it's just... Stu, Stu mentioned about the kids and people, you know, on, like on the dad's and the mum's shoulders and things like that. There will be a lot of people who went to that game who will really reconsider if they get a chance to go watch England again. Well, as, as, as Stu that says, that makes me so sad. As, as, Stu, as Stu says, that that's not a, an atmosphere which is appealing to, to me as a you know a, a white bloke. Um, it's not appealing to to women. It's not appealing to children. It's not appealing to people of a different faith. It's you know 
we want include uh, want football to be an inclusive game, and 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 this really goes against that, Stu. Well, I, I mean, my worry, I think Joe's absolutely spot on, but but my worry, you know, is that it won't just put people off going to England games. It'll put people off going to football. You know, in the same way that these are a minority of football fans, they reflect on all of us football fans. You know, people outside will will lump us together, and understandably so. And and in certain circles, it will it will reflect on all English people. You know, it, I mean, it already has, hasn't it? It already has. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's it's soured the tournament. It's soured what should have been a great tournament. Yeah. I'm not necessarily an England fan. I've I've stated on most podcasts before because of me me Welsh father. But as this tournament went on, I started to really grow and like this England team because of the personalities, because of the stories, and because of what they were achieving. I'm not saying I necessarily supported them, but I wanted to see them do well. And it, it felt to me when that final came around, it was just like, well, that that this is the reason why. This is the reason why I support Wales, and this is the reason why I've sort of followed in my dad's lead in that regard because that's part of it, and that was part of me thinking at the time when I made that choice when I was a kid. I think it is it is important as well, amongst all the negative negativity and amongst all the mess and the, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, I think Stu said it best: the morons. That's what they are, the morons. But I think it is important to to know that the the flip side of it has also been amazing. You know, the the reaction to Marcus Rashford's mural being defaced, yeah. it's just, yeah, Brilliant. I mean, it, it's it's so, like, that's... Look at that Hope, Hope videos conquers, so Hope conquers head, isn't it? Hope conquers head. Yeah, yeah. And and looking at, you know, the the videos of the, of the kids talking about Marcus Rashford and the messages that he's got and the the pictures that have come out of it, I mean, he, he his... There was obviously a lot of good sort of messages came out from the England boys after the after the final, but I don't think any of them got me like Marcus Rashford's did. You know that that I read that and I was just like choking up as I was reading it. And then when he shared the kids' letters that had been sent to him, I was gone. Like it's it, it was an emotional couple of days anyway. But you know, for for someone like Marcus Rashford who has done so much for for this nation to get the hammer that he's gotten over a penalty that hit the post is I just think it's horrendous and, and the fact that people have rallied behind him that is that is that is for me what it's all about you know it, it is that that sort of hope conquers hate thing and you know if that can continue then there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and um as long as there are people on the other side of the fence it will never be able to fully tip one way and I, I guess I'd like to talk about Tyrone Mings's tweet as well Firstly, because I think it was very eloquent, and secondly, because I think it, it raised a few valid points. I mean, taking the knee and, and the Black Lives Matter message has been dubbed gesture politics by the Home Secretary and, and Boris Johnson, and not condemned, but it's it's not exactly being endorsed either, you would say. Tyrone Mings accused Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, of, of stoking the fires, and and sort of this is what happens. Stu, what, what did you make of that? Well, I think it's pretty depressing really that it seems like all the best politicians in this country are in the England football team and not in the House of Commons um you know she talked about she took um Priti Patel talked about the black that they're taking the knee was gesture politics and then in the run-up to the final put photos on social media of her in an England shirt which knows the definition about the packet um wishing England well you know that's gesture politics Coming out, coming out and condemning these these fans as Boris Johnson and, and Pretty Patel did, 
yes, that was absolutely the right thing to do. But if they don't back it up with actions, that's gesture politics too. Um, you know, the social media companies do need to up their game. And the prime minister quite rightly said they need to up their game. He needs to up his game too. Um, it's just not acceptable. It's, it's the 21st century. You couldn't do that to someone in the street. Um, I'd love to see somebody try and do that in the street to Tyrone Mings, actually. But um, it's just, we need laws to, to, do, to deal with this. And when we have laws, we need them to be enforced. I mean, we had enough laws to stop what happened at Wembley on Sunday, but we didn't enforce them. It's, it's amazing how many people have, uh, have been hacked, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, this whole um, uh, another thing that that really concerns me as well is when a, a young black footballer has a voice, uh, attempts to have a voice, makes a point using using social media, which is in perfectly entitled to do regarding politics. He's told to stick to football. Joe, I, I just think that's a terrible message. You know, he's a, a citizen of this of this country. He's perfectly entitled to an opinion, telling them to, to get back in his box and, and stick to his football. I mean, we, you know, if you had an opinion on, on politics, you wouldn't be told to stick to journalism, would you? No, it's, it's, it, honestly, it's mad. It's such a weird take for someone to have. And, and also, if that is the case, then the politicians just stick to politics and not to football then. Yeah, exactly. Keep, keep their noses out of our business and, and what sort of our game and what the, the game that we love and that we are involved in. Because that's not how the world works. You know, that the, these same people are talking about, you know, disagreeing with taking the knee is freedom of speech. You can do that. That's fine. But then, oh, yeah, no, but these football players, they, they don't have freedom of speech. They, they can't say what they want. Um, and it, it, it's just so hypocritical. And it seems to be the, with, with everything now, the, there is this sort of one rule for me and one rule for them. And I think, I think with, with the footballers, they are in a position where their voices mean something. And if it hadn't been for Marcus Rashford and his voice, there'd be a lot of kids going hungry in, in England and the UK. And, you know, that is, that is a perfect example of why footballers shouldn't stick to football. Because there's been Marcus Rashford, there's been Raheem Sterling, there's been Tyrone Mings. There's been, I mean, it's literally endless. Like this, this entire group of players, you look at what Jordan Henderson has done for the NHS, for instance. Should he stick to football as well? Or is it only on racial issues when they should stick to football? You know, it's, it's it's stunning, really. It's it's horrific. And and the other thing is, I mean, Joe's listing all those things, and there are other things, you know, we could list as well. But th I bet you there's an awful lot of things that we don't know about as well. Oh, one hundred percent. You know, footballers, yeah, 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 yeah. footballers by and large, and I think maybe this England team has slightly changed the culture. But there's been there's been a we want to keep our head down and we want to we want to make our charity work private. So there'll be an awful lot going on. You know, not just with England, but with all the clubs up and down the country that we don't know about on top of all these good things. You know, and it's it's pleasing in a way because, you know, probably probably when I was younger, probably I was a little bit, you know, actually, I'd rather politics stayed out of sport. But, you know, I think I think to be honest with you, I think we should all sort of probably just reread Gareth's letter, Gareth Southgate's letter that he wrote before the tournament. They should probably teach it in schools. And there was a line in there, which Joe's already quoted. I've not I don't believe that footballers should should not should just stick to football and that is kind of that is kind of one of the lessons in the tournament for the society not just for football yeah definitely well um yeah we'll move back on to, to football matters obviously we, we had to dip into uh, to politics and and current affairs but um i'll ask one final question of you both regarding england's manager gareth southgate 
I think I know the answer to be fair, but I'll, I'll let you give your reasoning. He should stay for the for the Qatar World Cup, shouldn't he? He should have another crack at this. Absolutely. <laughs> as as far as I'm concerned, Joe Joe's right. There, you know, there, there will be a time when it when it is time to move on, but Gareth Southgate has earned the right for him to decide that. You know, because he's already shown throughout this tournament that he knows a lot more about football and decision making than any of us. <laughs> he can make that decision. Um, and if, if he wants to stay into Qatar, brilliant. I hope I really hope he does. And, and um, Joe, you've mentioned sort of Gareth Southgate being a sort of the antithesis to the current leadership in this country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's a, he, the, the things that he says. I would love to know how many non-football fans in England have sort of become attached to this group of players, not just because of what the players have said, but because of what Gareth Southgate has said. The, the way that he has carried himself, the, the, the eloquence at which he's spoken on certain topics. And, and I think that that, you know, that I, I, when I was at the, the semi-final, there was, obviously it is, you know, a predominantly, you know, straight white male crowd. That is just, that's just football. But I did notice, um, compared it to games that I've been to it sort of in the past, it's been a long time since I've watched a, an England game. Obviously, I've been in South Africa for 10 years. It's been a long time since I watched an England game at Wembley. And the crowd was notably different. You know, notably different. Like, the, not just in terms of race, but in terms of everything. Like, it just seemed like a very different crowd. And I think a lot of that is on these players and on Gareth Southgate. And, you know, he is more than just a man who picks the players and picks the formations. He is, he's a leader. And I think that Gareth Southgate is exactly the sort of person that should be in charge of the English national team at the minute because the English national team has a huge role to play in the future of this country. And Gareth Southgate is, like I say, for me, is the perfect man to be in charge of it. But I, I mean, one thing I'd like to add, you, you know, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And we're absolutely right to bang the drum for this, this team's, you know, social responsibility and, and, and general behaviour. But I think we'd be doing them a disservice as well, if we didn't recognise the fact that Gareth Southgate and the England football team are a really good football team too. They're, they're, they're good at their jobs as well as the extra bit. They're, they're an exceptional team. He's, a, he's an exceptional manager. And as I say, there, there, are, there, are, there are foundations in place for this, for this not to be the end of it for the football team. And they'll get better as well. That's, that's the key to it, isn't it? They get, this group of players, bar what, three of them, are all still under 30. There's a lot of room for growth here. A lot of room for growth. We Can Be Euros has brought a light-hearted look at the action across this summer's Euro 2020 tournament. This series is produced by JPI Media and this episode was hosted by me, James Copley, football writer for the Southern Echo. This episode featured Joe Cran of the Sheffield Star alongside Stu Rayner of the Yorkshire Post. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other podcast platforms. Now, this show was produced by Mark Wilson. Music is provided by Gentleman Jackals. Check them out on Spotify now. Head over to nationalworld.com for your latest Euros news and analysis. And follow us on Twitter at National World and on Facebook at National World UK.